0: Several years ago, our church offices used to be over on Music Square West. I don't know if you ever visited our church offices while they're there, but I remember one day in particular, I was leaving those offices and I'd come to the end of Music Row, and I was sitting there at the top of Demumbrian, at that roundabout where there's those wonderful, like naked statues of people dancing. Maybe you know those statues, kind of the weirdest statues in Nashville. It's Brandon Still's favorite place in Nashville. He packs a lunch and sits there every I'm joking. Um, Brandon is like cutting me a look right now. Uh, It's the weirdest statue, but now you can picture, I got your attention, you know, you can picture where I was. I remember I'm sitting there at the top of DeMombria and getting ready to turn into the roundabout, and I get a phone call from a a good friend of mine. We've been friends for years. Arguably, up until this moment, I would say that I knew everything there was to know about him and that he knew everything there was to know about me. I mean, we just had that kind of friendship, and I remember— answering the phone that day, and I could hear in his voice that this was just a different phone call. He wasn't calling to shoot the breeze. He wasn't calling to catch me up. He he, he started the phone call, and there's just this tone to it. And over the next few mo- moments, he began to share all sorts of information about his life, the way that he'd been living, things that he'd been a part of for the last decade that I had no clue were going on. And It was one of those moments he wasn't sharing them with sorrow or grief or repentance. He was just saying, hey, this is what it is. It's it's who I am. It's what I'm doing. You just need to know it. And in that moment, it was like a really sobering reality where I was reminded of just how easy it is to have a relationship where you know a lot about a person, but you don't actually know the person. Like, you know a lot of stuff about them, you know, when they were born, where they were born, their favorite hobbies, their favorite food, their eye color, their favorite sports team, like whatever it is, it's possible to to know a lot about someone without actually knowing that someone. And in that moment, I was reminded that it's just such a poor substitute to know about someone and not actually know them. I think about this in all kinds of different relationships. There's this moment when I met Sydney for the first time. Up until that point, I had no clue who she was. And then all of a sudden, I met her and I thought, I wanna know more about this woman. And so this was before social media, so I couldn't Facebook stalk her or anything. You know, it's just the old fashioned way of having to find out all the information I could about like, who is this woman? And there was a season where I just knew about Sydney. But what I learned over time is knowing about her, was a really poor substitute for actually knowing her. And when I got to know her, her heart, her dreams, her desires, her fears, what makes her excited, what makes her angry, like something begins to change. Because like as, as human beings in the context of relationship, there's this thing in us where if we slow down long enough, we would all say, we don't just want to know about people, we wanna know people. We don't want just people to know about us, we wanna be known. There's this longing in us to be known earlier this week I had the joy of sitting down with a guy from our church just an amazing dude who like all of us has been on this long journey of of trying to know God came to ethos several years ago and you know, by, kind of by his words, uh, he knew a lot about God, but he didn't actually know God. And earlier this year, the, the Holy Spirit just began to do something in his life. And two weeks before COVID just kind of turned all of our lives upside down, I had the joy of baptizing this guy at our baptism night. Maybe you remember that? You remember that moment? We were all crowded in the cannery, like when we used to be able to be in groups, and we were worshiping and people were getting baptized. I remember getting to baptize him that night, and and then two weeks later, he's in quarantine like the rest of us. And so we sat down earlier this week, and he was just catching me up and. He made this statement as he was kind of sharing his testimony that just really resonated in my heart. He said, Dave, for so much of my life, I went to church and I read the scriptures and I tried to keep all of the rules that people told me to keep. He said, but I did not know God. He said, I knew a lot of things about God, but I didn't actually know him. And he said, and something's been happening in this season as I'm getting to know him. And man, I've just, I've been wrestling with that. And I, I go, man, in this, in this moment that we find ourselves in, as not just a church, but as a culture where all of our religious activity has kind of been turned on its head, where all of our habits have kind of come to a screeching halt, I believe it's it's a moment that we've got to slow down as a church and not just ask the question, do we know about God? But really ask the question like, do you know God? Like, do you actually know him? Do you know his heart? Do you know his desires? Do you know what makes him excited? What, what, what makes him angry? Do you know well, what, what he's doing in the world right now? You know, as the friends of Jesus, Jesus says we can expect to know these sorts of things that God is gonna let us in. Not just on who he is, but what he's doing. And my question for us in this season is not, not just do we know about God, but do we actually know God? And I think it's a moment where we need to stop and just kind of ask because the reality is As Americans, our way of doing church lends itself more easily to knowing about God. You show up once a week, you hear a sermon, you get some stories, you sing some songs, and you go about your business. And at times, it lends itself more aptly to knowing about God than it does to actually knowing Him. And I believe in the midst of all this that we're facing, God said, hey, I want you to know me. so that's what I want us to wrestle with this morning. Like, Like, how do we get to know God more deeply? And for some of you, Maybe this is kind of a first step kind of moment. And for some of you, maybe it's a a thousandth step down a journey that you've already been on. And so how do we begin to wrestle this to the ground? Now, you may be sitting there this morning. I don't know where you're worshiping with us from, but maybe your thought is, I don't need a whole sermon to help me discern whether or not I know God, because maybe you know that you don't know him the way that you want to. Maybe you're sitting there going, man, this has just been a frustrating conversation for me. I remember when I was growing up and I'd hear people say things like this, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And I'm like, yes, I love that, and yet that just makes me so angry because I have no idea how to actually do it. Like, what are you actually asking me to do? And I would live in that tension, and maybe you're feeling that this morning. And so. Um, and I want to start with just a whole lot of good news. Wherever you find yourself on this journey, if you don't hear me say anything else this morning, I want you to hear me say this, is is God wants you to know him. And he's done everything that needs to be done so that you can actually know him right here and now. That God's not in, in the habit of playing games with humanity. This has not been some big cosmic game of hide-and-go-seek. You know, he's, he's not just like leaving spiritual breadcrumbs and dashing out of the way every time you get close. That's not the way that God operates. In fact, the Scriptures tell us that it was because of sin that we started hiding from God. It wasn't because of sin that God started hiding from us. God's never been hiding. We're the ones that have been hiding. God shows up in the midst of it. He wants to be known. I love, I'll just kind of give you a few places of scripture to kind of help you anchor this idea. This is not just out of my heart, not just stuff I'm saying. This is what God has said about himself. I love the way the story starts in the book of Genesis. God creates humanity. And before sin enters the world, it describes his relationship with Adam and Eve. It says, they were standing before God, naked and unashamed. In other words, they were fully known and fully loved with each other, with God. There's this beautiful sense of intimacy. It said that they're walking through the garden together, shoulder to shoulder, face to face, serving together, doing things together. It was this perfect picture of relationship as we've always desired it. Not just with each other, but with God. It says then sin enters into the world and it begins to break up that relationship and all of a sudden, The rest of the scriptures, I believe, is this unfolding of God basically doing whatever it takes to get rid of any of the barriers that had been put in place by our choices and our sin so that we could be brought rightly back into relationship with the God who loves us and wants us to know him. There's so many places we could look at, but just open your Bibles to Jeremiah 31 real fast. I want you to just hear this. This is a few hundred years before Jesus steps foot physically on planet Earth. And there's this promise coming, starting in verse 31. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with my people. Verse 32, he says, it won't be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, even though I was a faithful husband to them. I love that imagery. God says, I was like a faithful husband leading his new bride like, into this wonderful new life. And he says, he says, it was your rebellion, it was your sin that actually broke up the relationship. But God says, I'm I'm making a new promise. I'm making a new covenant with you, verse 33. He says, this new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after the appointed time, declares the Lord. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor. I want you to hear me, like, like, really let this kind of make an imprint on your soul. He said, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, you should know the Lord. He says, no, because at that time, they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I'll remember their sins no more. And So there's this moment where God says, hey, our relationship has been disrupted by your sin. And he says, and here's the deal. I'm making a new covenant that I'm going to send someone who's going to remove your sin and your wickedness. And when that happens, this new covenant is going to go into effect so that from the least to the greatest, whoever wants to know me can know me. It doesn't matter what your spiritual pedigree is. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church or not. It doesn't matter what you did last night or last month or last year or last decade. God says, when you come to me in Jesus, Jesus is about to do something that will bring you into the relationship your soul has been longing for forever. He makes this promise. He says, from the least to the greatest, you don't just have to hear about me from others. You can actually know me yourself. A few hundred years later, Jesus is going to show up as the inauguration of this covenant, of this promise, and there's so many moments from the life of Jesus that we could look at. I love John chapter 1 towards the beginning of his ministry, where John is talking about Jesus and he says, not only was he God, not only is he the only one who has ever seen God perfectly, but in John chapter 1 verse 18 he says, Jesus has arrived to reveal the Father to you. (laughs) Not just to forgive your sins, not just to deal with your shame, that Jesus has shown up so that you can know God. Over and over and over in uh, Jesus's life and teaching, he's gonna speak into this. In John chapter 10, Jesus is gonna say, this is the hallmark of those that are walking with me. He says, they will know me. They will know my voice. (laughs) They will follow me. In John chapter 14, when Jesus is talking to the 12 disciples right before he goes to the garden in Gethsemane, he looks at him and he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father because I've come here to reveal him to you in fullness. Or think about this moment in John chapter 17. Flip over with me real quick to John chapter 17. It's that moment where Jesus is praying. And he's praying over his disciples and then he begins to pray over us. I just want you to hear the heartbeat of Jesus's prayer starting in verse one. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may bring glory to you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those that you've given him. Verse three, this is so big. Listen to this. He says, now this is what eternal life is and Jesus defines it. He says, this is eternal life that they would know you, that they would know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. This is the essence of life. Jesus says, it's not just that you escape hell. It's not just that one day you get some great, you know, grand prize because you finished life. He says, no, this is eternal life, that they would have intimate knowledge of who you are. Not just that they would know about you, but that they would actually know you. (laughs) I love how he ends his prayer in verse 26. He says, Lord, I've made you known to them listen to this, and I will continue to make you known to them in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them also. Jesus says I've come as not just a revelation of God, but I've come to reveal God so that you don't just have to know about me, but you can know me. Here's the deal, guys. A lot of people know about God, but they don't know him. The Pharisees knew about God, but they didn't know him. The demons knew about God, but they didn't know him. The friends of Jesus don't just know about God, they actually know him. And Jesus says, I've come as the inauguration of that promise that God made through the prophet Jeremiah, I've come to remove your sin, your shame, your wickedness. I've come to remove everything that has pushed you into hiding. And here's the good news, is if you want to know God, he wants to be known by you and he's done all the work. It's that beautiful moment on the cross where Jesus is dying for the sins of humanity. It says, at the moment that he died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And it was that picture that Jeremiah chapter 31 was pointing to, where from the least to the greatest, now everybody had access into the place of intimacy with God. And I was thinking this week as I was reflecting on just this unbelievable truth that God's inviting us into. I thought about that romantic comedy, Hitch. I don't don't know if if that's what happens to you when you think about Jeremiah 31, you think about Will Smith and Kevin James. And I just thought about that moment. If you've never seen that movie as a rom-com from the early 2000s where Will Smith is like this dating coach and he's trying to help Kevin James, kind of this lovable loser, get this woman that's out of his league. And there's this awesome moment in the movie where they're standing on the front porch and Will Smith is trying to teach Kevin James how to lean in for that first kiss. And it's like beautifully awkward and hilarious. he says, here's what you do. He says, you lean in, you go 90% of the way, and then you wait, and you let her come the other 10%. And, and man, I was just thinking about that, because I go, when I look at the gospel, when I think about the story of humanity, like God, he, he leans in. He, he's removed all the shame, all the barriers. But I, you, you've got to hear this. He invites us not to just sit back passively, but to actually lean back towards the Lord go, man, I, I want to know you, God. I, I don't want to just know about you. And so how do we actually begin to lean back into the Lord after everything that he's done so that we can actually know him? And so there's so many things we can talk about this morning. Hey, I just want to give us kind of four, what I believe are just really tangible handles to think about what it means to be people that know God in the midst of the moment that we're in. So if you take notes, number one, If you want to grow in your intimate relational knowledge of who God is, it's going to require you to make a daily commitment towards surrender. It's going to require a daily commitment towards surrender. And so when Jesus talks about building friendship with himself, you know, in John chapter 15, he said, you got to hear this. We like to throw these verses away, but this is what Jesus said. He said, you will continue to be my friends if you will continue to obey my teachings each day. In the most accurate kind of translation of the language, that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, you are my friends if you obey my teachings. But what he's really saying is in this ongoing, if you will keep obeying what I'm saying, it will bring you into proximity with me. And when there's proximity with me, there's intimacy with me. Jesus says, we can't do friendship where there's no place of surrender. I don't know that anybody ever taught me this, but I think most of my life, I kind of grew up with this notion that if I just gave my life to Jesus, that I could live my life however I wanted, and Jesus would just kind of tag along. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way it works. The intimacy actually is born in this place of obedient, daily surrender. I think about the passage out of Mark chapter 8 where Jesus is talking really plainly to his disciples. He says, he says hey, if you want to follow me, this is what it's going to look like. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple, my friend, my apprentice, my student, Whoever wants to be in close relationship with me, here's what, here's what he says. He says, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross. And you must follow me. And, and without a doubt, in that moment, Jesus is talking about the cost of following him. He's talking about the, time, the reality that there are times when we're going to suffer as we walk with Jesus. But in, in the original language, I actually think there's something that we, we normally kind of skip over or miss here because the word that's translated cross I think a little more specifically could have been translated your stake. Jesus says, whoever wants to follow me, you must deny yourself and you must pull up your stakes. And it was really the language, it was the word that was used to describe the center pole in a tent. And I think there's powerful imagery here. Jesus is saying, hey, if, if you want to follow me, if you want to know me, if you want to be with me, each morning you've got to make the commitment to pack up your tent, to clean up your campsite, to put it on your back and say, Jesus, where are we going? In other words, Jesus says the essence of knowing me isn't about building the most comfortable life you can build and then begging God to come inhabit it. Knowing God, following God is, is this daily commitment to say, hey, Jesus, you know, I think I'm going to work today, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. I think we have plans this weekend, but Lord, each morning I'm just putting it on the table, what would you have for me? What would you have me do? Who would you have me love? Who would you have me encourage? Who would you have me speak to? Who would you have me bless? Uh, What would you have me do? Like this week, I was just trying to practice this in my own life. And one afternoon I was just talking with the Lord and as I was talking with him he reminded me there's a relationship in my life that several years ago me and this guy we just we have a broken relationship. I did some things that hurt him, he did some things that hurt me. And honestly on both sides of the relationship there's been some places of bitterness and unforgiveness for 3 or 4 years now. And so as I'm talking with the Lord he says, "Hey, I want you to call that guy. I want you to go get together and I want you to ask him to forgive you." And I, and immediately, I'm sure you've never done this because you're more holy than I am, but I'm like, "Lord, I don't need his forgiveness. Like, uh, uh, he needs to, for, or I need his forgiveness. He doesn't need my forgiveness. And and I start arguing with the Lord, and the Lord says, no, Dave, that's not the way it works. Like, like you need, you need to call him. I need to go sit down. Like, you need to receive. And I'm like, but God, that guy's an idiot. And, uh, and, and the Lord's like, well, you're an idiot. Like, you know, and, and you need to go do business. And sometimes God is like, hey, I want to keep moving forward, but unless you're willing to to take what I'm saying to you and put it into practice, we can't go any further in the relationship. And so knowing God requires us to say, hey Lord, each day, here's my white flag. Like I, I I just wave the flag, wherever you want to take me, wherever you want to lead. I think sometimes we have this grand romantic notion that we're going to give our lives to Jesus, but we never take the step of giving him our day or the hour or the moment we find ourselves in. I'm just telling you guys, if you want to know God and not just know about him, it comes in this place of surrender. If you're taking notes, it's not just surrender. Secondly, it's a commitment to daily solitude. And so each day we come into the presence of God and we say, Lord, I'm here to surrender. I'm not here to beg you to do what I want you to do. I want to follow you. But I believe this only happens in the place of daily solitude. I love what Luke chapter 5, verse 16 says, where it says Jesus would often withdraw to the lonely places and pray. And it's just stunning to me when I think about Jesus, who is the fullness of God, filled with the Spirit of God, sent by God to bring about the kingdom of God. And yet Jesus knew in all of his godness that if he did not set aside time every single day to have an undivided heart, undivided attention in the presence of God, he knew that he couldn't make it through this life. And I go, if Jesus, the Son of God, filled with the Spirit of God, sent to bring the kingdom of God, knew he needed time alone with God, I go, why is it that I'm so convinced I can do without it? And I go, here's the reality. If you want to know God and not just know about him, it starts in this place of surrender. But this place of surrender so often happens in the place of solitude, where you just get alone. And there's a big difference between isolation and solitude. In this cultural moment we find ourselves in, everyone's talking about isolation. Isolation is you being alone. Solitude is you being alone with God. It's you getting away from every distraction, every person, everything that's pulling on you to be in the presence of God. I just have a really simple question for you this morning, and that is, are you, as a seeker of Jesus, someone who wants to know Jesus more deeply, are you making adequate time, like sufficient time, each and every day for God to get your undivided, undistracted attention? Because here's the reality, as American Christians, it's easy to log on and listen to a teaching once a week, to hear a podcast, to read a book, to listen to music on the way to work, and none of those things are wrong. But I'm just telling you, if you want to know God more intimately, we have to follow the ways of Jesus into the secret places. We come in, surrender, not demanding anything from the King, but we come in in this place of surrender. And it's in that place of solitude that we say, hey, Lord, would you give me an undivided heart? Would you show me? Would you show me what it is that you have for me? You know, Sydney and I have learned this in the context of marriage. We've learned, we've learned that with without adequate time together each and every day, like our relationship begins to deteriorate over time. Just something begins to change. Something begins to happen. And so every morning we just try to get alone together and go for a walk in that place of solitude that God is going to show up in our marriage. And I believe it's what God begins to do in our lives. And so if we want to go from just knowing about God to actually knowing him, it's surrender. It's daily solitude. Number three, it's found in the place of daily community. Daily community. It's, it's so fascinating to me that, that God himself is community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that when Jesus came to the earth, he was born into a community. He was born into a people group. He was born into a family. One of the first things he did in the context of his ministry was he established a community because Jesus knew that community was not just a nicety, it was a necessity if the gospel is going to be displayed in the world. In other words, Jesus knew that there were aspects of God that could only be seen in the context of community, that certain things can only be discovered, not when you're on a in a moment of solitude at Radnor Lake and not when you're in the Word. Certain things happen. Certain things happen when you're in the context of Christian community. And man, this season has been so hard. I love, I love what Jesus does in Luke chapter 10 as he sends the disciples out on mission. He sends them out in that moment. And what does he do? He sends them out in community, he sends them out in two in Luke chapter 10, verse one. I remember when I was in high school, my youth pastor, uh, he, he arrived and it's kind of his first youth pastor job. And he, he realized that our youth group was made up of a bunch of people who lived in different places all across the city scattered out. And he started asking the question, how can we possibly experience the gospel if these students are only together one or two hours a week? Like, how can we experience the fullness of God if we're never together? So he came up with this really creative solution, really practical idea. He said, every morning before you go to school, he said, I'm going to give you one person. I just want you to call them and over the phone for five minutes, just read a passage of scripture and pray that they would encounter God that day. Because he knew there was something they would experience in community they you never experience alone. Guys, just imagine what would happen in our church if you woke up each morning and saying, Lord, it's not about my agenda, but yours. I'm here to surrender. Hey, Lord, I'm here in the quiet place just for you to say whatever you want to say. But Lord, I'm not doing this alone. I'm walking forward in community. If we want to not just know about God, but to actually know him, it's going to require us to meet him in that place of daily surrender, daily solitude, daily community, and last but not least, in that place of daily mission. That if you want to know God, You have to show up for duty. You have to show up where God is actually at work. I love that moment in Luke chapter two where Jesus is 12 years old and his parents have gone up to the temple to worship. Maybe you remember this story. They've gone up to the temple to worship, and they lose Jesus, not for 15 minutes. They lose him for three days. For those of you that are parents, you know this feeling. You know, you lose your kid for 10 minutes at Target, and you're losing your mind. Can you imagine if you'd been given the responsibility to raise the one and only Son of God, and you lost him for three days? And So they've lost Jesus, and finally they find him. And I love how the New King James Version translates this moment. They find Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, why have you been looking for me? Didn't you know I was going to be about my father's business? In other words, Jesus said, if you wanted to find me, all you had to do is show up where God was at work. There's this beautiful reality that begins to stir up in us. If we really want to know God, if we show up to the places where God is already at work, I love Luke chapter 19. Jesus says, I've come to seek and save the lost. Guys, if we want to know God more deeply— It's not just about this place of individual surrender. It's not just about this place of personal solitude. It's not just about walking in Christian community. At some point, on some level, each and every day, you've got to show up and say, God, I'm here for mission. Who do I need to love? Who do I need to encourage? Who do I need to share the gospel with? Who do I need to serve? I promise you, if each and every morning you would ask God to give you one opportunity, God would give you the opportunity. Sometimes it's going to take a little more looking than others. God's gonna give you the opportunity because God wants to meet you where he's at, and where he's at is among those who still don't get Him. He shows up in power there. remember when I was a, a college minister, each year I'd take students down on this mission trip where we'd share our faith in some really kind of unusual places, and every year we'd get done with that mission trip and we'd take some time to debrief, and without a doubt, every one of those guys would say, man, I connected with God more deeply than I ever have in my life. Do you know why that was true? because they're not just committed to surrender to his ways or to enter into places of solitude or to walk in community. It happened because they were committed to following Jesus on mission. I'm just telling you, our rhythms as a church have changed, but our mission hasn't. God's still doing something. And there's a big difference between knowing about God and actually knowing him. And the good news is he wants you to know him. And Jesus has come to do everything that needs to be done so you can know him. He's leaned all the way in and he's inviting you. And I don't know what it is that you need this morning, but I just wanna pray kind of that prayer of Ephesians 1.17 over us again. That whether you're just beginning your journey or you've been on the journey for a long time and things are growing cold, or whether you've been running with God ferociously, wherever you find yourself on the journey, I wanna pray that God would pour out the Holy Spirit in your life this morning, that you would receive the spirit of wisdom and of revelation so that you would know God better. And this may feel a little bit awkward, but wherever you are this morning, if you're in your home by yourself with a group of people, I wanna invite you to just raise your hands before the Lord uh, if you're at a coffee shop and you don't want to look like a weirdo, maybe you can just put your hands out in front of you. like, like Do whatever it is that you're comfortable with, but something that just kind of is courageous enough to say, God, I want more of your presence in my life. I don't want to just know about you, but I actually want to know you. And so I just want to invite you right now, wherever you are scattered across the city, the country, or the nations, to raise your hand before the Lord. And I just want to pray a prayer of impartation, of blessing over you, that I believe God's going to answer. Father, I love you. I thank you for who you are, God. I thank you that you're a God who doesn't play games. You're not hiding from us, waiting for us to crack a code, Lord, I love that you came in flesh, that you died to remove all sin and all shame and all guilt and all fear, Lord. I love that you have torn the veil so that nobody's like Dave Clayton could enter into the holy place. I love it that it is your heart's desire that from the least to the greatest that we can know you, that in the kingdom of God, there's no spiritual caste system. Lord, I love that in the kingdom of God, everyone that is hungry and thirsty for righteousness will be filled. Everybody that's desperate to know you will be touched. God, I pray for every person that is raising their hand right now, whether they're on their own or in a community, that God, you would pour out a spirit of wisdom and revelation on them that they would know you better. God, I pray for every person that didn't have the courage to raise their hand or maybe their hearts are too hard right now to even admit that they need you more. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, would you invade their living room? Would you invade their home? Would you open them up to the reality of who you are, God? We don't want to be religious. We don't just want to know about you. We want to know you. We want to be the friends of Jesus because goodness knows the world needs the friends of Jesus right now. Speak to us, Lord. Let us know what you're doing. Let us see it for your glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Man, I love you. We're going to take communion together. I want to invite you to get in groups, to break the bread, to take the cup, and to spend time just thanking Jesus for everything that he's done so that you could enter into a relationship with God. Spend time praying that God would pour out more of the spirit of revelation, of friendship on our church, so we'd actually know him. So let's do that together in community as we break the bread and drink the cup together, and then we'll end with worship. I love you all. Thanks for being a part of worship today.